This is Guns and Butter. Part of a military roadmap. This we have to understand. The war in Libya is part of the long war. Military planners, the Pentagon, have a sequence of military operations. We should really be speaking about one war rather than several wars, but what we should understand is that the war, the war in Libya opens up a fourth war theater. That fourth war theater is uh, essentially uh, the extension of the Middle East Central Asian War into North Africa. We have at present three war theaters, which we tend to look as, as separate. Afghanistan, Iraq, and Palestine. And we now have a fourth war theater, which is North Africa. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Michelle Chosadovsky. Today's show, Operation Libya, Insurrection and Military Intervention. Michelle Chosadovsky is an economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization based in Montreal, Quebec. He is the author of The Globalization of Poverty and the New World Order, War and Globalization, The Truth Behind September 11th, and America's War on Terrorism. He is co-editor and a contributor to a new anthology, The Global Economic Crisis, The Great Depression of the 21st Century. Today we discuss several of his most recent articles, including Insurrection and Military Intervention, the U.S.-NATO attempted coup d'etat in Libya, Operation Libya and the Battle for Oil, Redrawing the Map of Africa, The Protest Movement in Egypt, Dictators Do Not Dictate, they obey orders, among many other articles. Michel Chosadovsky, welcome. I'm delighted to be on the program. Let's start with the foreign military attack on Libya, which is currently underway. What countries are actively involved in the attack? Which ones support the attack, if any? And what weaponry is being utilized, and what are the targets? Do we know? Well, we, we have a coalition of countries. Um, uh, essentially, this is a U.S.-NATO-led uh, intervention. It is using the most advanced weapons systems, uh, fighter planes, uh, Tomahawk missiles, um, the whole gamut of, of military hardware with the participation of a large number of countries. Now, we must understand that this is the largest military deployment since the 2003 um, Iraq war. Uh, in a bitter irony, it was launched on exactly the same day as the attacks on, on Iraq, 19th of March 2003, 19th of March 2011. Uh, it is a deployment of a coalition which is coming to the rescue of uh, an insurgency, an armed insurgency. It's not a protest movement. Uh, it is an insurgency. I think coalition uh, spokesperson actually acknowledged and said, we don't know who those guys are. 
because there are elements which have defected from the Qaddafi regime. Uh, it's led by the former Minister of Justice. But there are also reports of, uh, of Al-Qaeda fighters, uh, essentially the, what is called the Libyan Islamic uh, fighter group, which is uh, part of Al-Qaeda and which is categorized as a terrorist organization at the international level. So the question we have to ask ourselves, why uh, this deployment of military might uh, against uh, the Qaddafi regime and in support of an insurgency uh, under the pretext of saving human lives and protecting civilians. Uh, the, the first question I think which we quite reasonably ask, since when has the United States and NATO in their military undertakings come to the rescue of civilians? We have uh, more than a million civilian casualties in Iraq uh, since the, the onslaught of the, of the Iraq war, uh, not counting all the, the deaths which occurred uh, since the imposition of sanctions and the 1991 Gulf War. Uh, we have uh, uh, routine uh, bombings of uh, civilians in northern Pakistan uh, with drone attacks. Uh, and uh, last year, uh, 2010, according to official sources, a thousand civilians died as a result of those attacks. Nobody lifts an eyelid, and all of a sudden we say we have to come to the rescue of civilians in uh, in Libya, and uh, this is a humanitarian operation, and the model of humanitarian operation is uh, Yugoslavia uh, or Iraq. There are undertones of regime change, but at the same time, uh, the United Nations Security Council resolution doesn't say anything uh, which allows this coalition to go in and, and uh, install a new government. But it's understood that uh, they want to get rid of, of Gaddafi and they want to install an acceptable uh, government in, uh, in Libya. Well, now, what are the targets? Uh, what targets are being hit in Libya uh, in this military attack? Well, if we read the press reports, what we're told is that the attacks are directed against military targets. But um, in fact, Libyan um, sources have confirmed, and we've been in touch actually by telephone with Libya, have confirmed that um, that some of these attacks have also uh, been directed against civilian targets. Uh, there were two hospitals in, in the outskirts of Tripoli, plus a medical center. Right from the beginning, uh, there were civilian targets. There were other reports saying that civilian airports were targeted. Um, there was a very, uh, I think, um, interesting case of of Canadian uh, fighter jets which were dispatched and then returned to base and said we didn't we decided not to bomb those targets because they were hospitals and civilians in the neighborhood of the target so that in effect that was a decision by the pilot not to go ahead with a with attack on on these civilian targets 
Um, there are reports of, uh, of casualties coming in. Um, the military alliance is, uh, is not only denying that uh, there are civilian casualties. It's obvious there's civilian casualties when you go in with, with missiles and bombs. You're going to get civilian casualties. This is an absurd proposition to say that we're going to, to wage a humanitarian operation using advanced weapon systems. But the media reports actually go to the, to the extreme of saying uh, that the funerals which are being held in, uh, in Libya are fake, that the bodies have been brought in, etc., etc., and that bodies are being brought to the places where, where coalition aircraft were attacking and so on. This is absurd. Uh, this military operation is, is a criminal undertaking. It's in violation of international law. Whatever the nature of, uh, of this uh, rebellion, whatever the nature of the regime, whether we like the Gaddafi regime or not, that is not the issue. It is intervention into the affairs of the sovereign country. Uh, it is illegal in, in terms of international law. And uh, it sets a very dangerous precedent. Anytime there's a protest movement somewhere, well, then we deploy the U.S. Air Force and go in and bomb. That is, that is really what is happening. Well, what do we know about the armed insurrection in eastern Libya? Who, who are the rebels and what are their aims? Is the Libyan insurrection a non-violent protest movement, as was the case in Egypt and Tunisia? Uh, did this insurrection spread to Libya from Egypt, or are conditions in Libya different than in the other North African countries undergoing uh, popular transition? The media has conveyed the impression that somehow the protest movement has spread from Tunisia and Egypt to other countries, including Libya and that somehow this is a spontaneous response. Um, it, it is part of a revolution uh, against oppressive regimes. We must understand that an insurrection takes months and months of preparation, let alone a military undertaking of this magnitude. Any uh, military analyst will tell you that the ongoing attacks on Libya under a humanitarian mandate, uh, United Nations Security Council Resolution 1973, took months and months of preparation, and that this military undertaking uh, was on the Pentagon's drawing board well before uh, the events in Egypt and Tunisia. So this is not simply an issue of, of protest movements spreading spontaneously from one country to another. Those protest movements, incidentally, in Egypt took also uh, months and months of preparation. And I think we should also understand that the leaders of the protest movement in Egypt, I'm not talking about the grassroots, but many of the leaders were actually in liaison with the U.S. State Department, the U.S. Senate, the, the, the National Endowment for Democracy, and uh, Freedom House, uh, U.S. foundations have been funding 
the opposition while at the same time supporting the government. And that is a mechanism which allows you to capture a protest movement and uh, ensure that the protest movement is not directed against um, the United States of America or the U.S. Embassy. In fact, we, we have evidence that the April 6th movement, which is the youth movement in Egypt, was in permanent liaison with the U.S. Embassy. This was even confirmed by BBC reports. Well, then, have these important grassroots movements then been co-opted by the U.S. and the IMF? I would say that the leaders of, of several um, opposition parties and civil society organizations, including Kifaya, April 6th movement, the Muslim Brotherhood, have been either infiltrated or co-opted by uh, United States foundations with links to U.S. intelligence. Um, it is known and documented that the Muslim Brotherhood has links to uh, MI6, going back, in fact, to, to the British colonial period, uh, and that uh, it has also links to, to U.S. intelligence. Um, the Kifaya movement is supported by, by U.S. foundation. The Facebook bloggers, the April 6th movement, are supported with funds provided by the National Endowment for Democracy and so on. Now, I'm not trying to suggest that, uh, that the protest movement is fabricated. It is not. It is, a, it is a, a mass movement of people in Egypt who are, who are directing their, their energies uh, against the, what was the Mubarak regime, uh, but select individuals within uh, that protest movement, particularly leaders of that protest movement, are there to ensure that this protest movement doesn't actually lead to an actual change of regime, but to a continuation of the same regime. And we've seen it in, in Egypt, where, in fact, the military has taken over the government and the former the former collaborators of Mubarak are in charge. So that, in fact, what has happened is continuity. And, uh, and what we can say is that those leaders, which are supported uh, by the U.S. State Department, including, I mean, including Hillary Clinton and Condoleezza Rice over, over a number of years, including the National Security Advisor, and, and there's, there's evidence to that effect, that these people have... Uh, have have betrayed the mass movement, and they have uh, they've been co-opted by uh, by U.S. support. It's very similar to what we describe as the color revolution, uh, but that does not mean necessarily that that, that mass movement uh, is, is not real. It, it's it's certainly real, uh, and and this is something which has to be understood. I'm speaking with economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization. Michel Chosarovsky. Today's show, Operation Libya, Insurrection and Military Intervention. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, with regard to Libya, the situation in Libya is totally different to that of Egypt. In Egypt, we had a peaceful protest movement. 
In Libya, we have an armed insurrection right from day one of people with, with weapons and uh, with the formation of, of, a, of a transitional government fighting against uh, regular police and military. What we have in the case of Libya is an armed insurrection. It is not a peaceful protest movement. It is people fighting with guns and, and shoulder missiles, and it is directed against the Gaddafi regime. Uh, so that uh, we cannot, under any circumstances, describe this as a protest movement. There are people who are protesting uh, alongside uh, this armed insurrection, but in effect, the central feature of, of what's happening in, in Libya today is a civil war. Uh, now, I think what is very important is to understand the composition of this rebellion. We recall that right from the outset, Gaddafi made a speech where he said, we are fighting Al-Qaeda. Now, that speech was immediately dismissed uh, and said, oh no, this is a bona fide insurrection, civil society directed against the regime, etc., etc. But in fact, what, uh, what Gaddafi was actually stating is, uh, is verified by reports of the mainstream media. I recall now just a few days ago when CNN uh, intimated and said, we don't know who those guys are. And then they also acknowledged in another report that there were fighters from the Libya Islamic, it's called the Libya Islamic Fighter Group. Uh, these are freedom fighters. They're linked to Al-Qaeda. They're categorized as a terrorist organization. And CNN said, yes, these guys have integrated uh, the opposition. But then they're careful to say, well, they integrated the opposition uh, in a personal capacity. Okay. Now, they integrated the opposition in a personal capacity and not as part of a terrorist organization. So immediately, immediately what, what has happened is that the Libya Islamic fighter group has in fact joined the rebellion. In fact, they, they most probably were part of the rebellion previously. They've been, certainly they've been fighting the, the Gaddafi regime for several years. Uh, they're part of the rebellion. And then CNN says, uh, yes, we don't know who these guys are, but uh, this fighter group, which belongs to Al-Qaeda, has joined the rebellion in a personal capacity, as individuals rather than as an organization. This is obviously a, 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 an utterly nonsensical statement because terrorists do not join a rebellion as individuals, they join as an organization, so that we can say with, with absolute certainty that the, the Libya um, Islamic fighter group is part of the insurrection, and it, it probably is one of the key uh, elements of this insurrection because it is actually a paramilitary organization. It is armed, it has weapons, and so on and so forth, and, uh, and consequently we get a, a pattern which is very familiar to people who have analyzed 
U.S. Uh, NATO-sponsored uh, humanitarian interventions. Uh, in the early 90s, when the, the United States and NATO uh, came to the rescue of the Bosnian Muslim army in, in Bosnia-Herzegovina, uh, right at the outset of the war on, on Yugoslavia, uh, the Bosnian Muslim army was integrated by factions of, of Al-Qaeda, okay? In fact, it was an Al-Qaeda-related uh, fighting group. And we know that Al-Qaeda is, in fact, a CIA intelligence asset. So we had, it in, we had it in Bosnia, and then a few years later, in the late 90s, we see the, the emergence of the Kosovo Liberation Army, a secessionist group which which wants to create a sovereign Kosovo state. And um, we know, and it's amply documented, that the KLA was not only linked up to organized crime, uh, but it was also supported by Al-Qaeda. You had Al-Qaeda cells which were training the KLA, fighting alongside the KLA, both in the insurgency in 1999 and subsequently in Macedonia, where you had Al-Qaeda cells fighting with the KLA uh, alongside U.S. Um, uh, military advisors. So that um, what you have in Libya today is very much part of a pattern. You have, you have an insurrection with various factions. Uh, some of them are civilians. Some of them are people who, have, who were part of the regime previously as the, as the former minister of justice. And then you have fighting groups and you have coalition special forces on the ground. Now, we know that right from the beginning, the British SAS, which are special forces, were on the ground. In fact, there were even reports of several hundred special forces on the ground right from day one. And I suspect that they were present before the, the insurrection actually uh, took place. And this is a very similar pattern to what happened in, in uh, Kosovo and what happened in, in Bosnia. And, and what does the red, black, and green banner with the crescent and star signify? Now, these are being held up by some of the rebels. Well, these, um, this, this flag, <laughs> quite, I mean, the, the rebels have hoisted the flag of the Libyan monarchy. The Libyan monarchy was King Idris, who was, uh, was essentially supported by, by the British during the colonial era. So that essentially what they are, they are hoisting is, uh, is a symbol of colonial domination. And uh, I, I presume that also there are royalist elements within, within this insurrection, but it, it certainly is, a, is symbolic, the fact that they would choose this particular flag to, uh, to wage uh, an insurrection on, on the Gaddafi regime. And where are the rebels obtaining their weapons? Do we know? Well, with regard to the weapons, there have been several reports confirming that Saudi Arabia is actually arming the insurgency. And they're actually arming the insurgency on the instructions of the NATO-US coalition. They have made statements to that effect. We're going to help the rebels and we're going to ask Saudi Arabia to bring in weapons and so on so that they can actually fight this, this civil war. And uh, that, of course, raises some very important questions because 
the United Nations Security Council resolution states very clearly that that there's an arms embargo, and it doesn't say it it doesn't say that the arms embargo uh, is uh, is only directed against Gaddafi. The arms embargo means that you're not allowed to actually bring in weapons to support an insurgency. It, it's very clearly stated in this uh, in this uh, resolution. And I should mention that in, in the early 90s, when uh, the United States came to the rescue of the Bosnian Muslim army, uh, there was also an arms embargo, but that arms embargo was violated, and the Bosnian Muslim army was not only uh, bringing in weapons, uh, but they were also bringing in the Mujahideen, the Al-Qaeda fighters, which then integrated the ranks of the Bosnian Muslim army. What is the present state of the economy in Libya? Is there a high standard of living and full employment? What's it like there? Um, the, the situation in Libya is totally different to that which prevails in, in, uh, in neighboring countries, um, Tunisia, Egypt, where there's mass unemployment, and these countries have been subjected to IMF World Bank reforms for, for more than 20 years. In Libya, there is no unemployment. In fact, there's a shortage of labor, and a lot of Egyptians go to Libya to work. Um, there's no unemployment, and the standard of living, according to the United Nations Human Development uh, Index, is the highest in Africa. Uh, Libya has, um, has an advanced healthcare system, high levels of, of literacy, uh, the rights of women have been developed over the years, and um, consequently, uh, the conditions of protest are significantly different to what they are in other countries. In other countries, people are they have been impoverished as a result of rising food prices, uh, mass unemployment, the collapse of social services. Some of those circumstances are now emerging in Libya, particularly last couple of years, but the conditions are totally different. And we cannot deny that this country has achieved significant economic and social progress in, in its post-colonial period. It controls its oil industry. Um, the National Oil Company belongs to the state. Uh, part of the oil revenues are recycled into um, building uh, social infrastructure and so on. And in that regard, Libya is different from uh, neighboring countries in North Africa. Well, is Libya in store for what you have described as a, quote, ruthless form of capitalist development? How big a factor is oil in these military attacks? Does Libya have a lot of oil, and where is it located? Also, what oil companies and countries have oil interests in Libya? Well, Libya is the largest uh, oil economy in Africa, followed by Nigeria and Algeria. Um, its oil reserves are of the order of 3.5% of global oil reserves, namely twice those of the United States. So the stakes are high. Uh, the, the trophy of this war is oil. Uh, the purpose of this military operation is ultimately to gain control over Libyan oil and gas reserves 
to displace and destroy the Libyan oil, the state oil company, uh, to privatize the assets. And in that regard, um, this intervention has, has a similar logic to the war in Iraq. The war in Iraq was a war which was uh, essentially to take control over something of the order of 10% of global oil and gas reserves. Uh, and, and in fact, that entire region is, is strategic because it encompasses something of the order of 60% of global oil and gas reserves. And those oil and gas reserves happen to lie in Muslim countries. So that is why the U.S.-led coalition, together with NATO and Israel, is waging a war of conquest. This is the battle for oil. And Libya is no exception. I'm speaking with economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, Michel Chosarovsky. Today's show, Operation Libya, Insurrection and Military Intervention. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. The humanitarian mandate of this uh, military intervention, of course, is a fabrication. It you don't come to the rescue of civilians by bombing the hell out of a country. Uh, the purpose of this military intervention is to gain control over strategic oil and gas reserves uh, and to eventually transfer ownership of those oil and gas reserves into private hands. And that is why the United States and its allies are supporting this armed insurrection with a view to eventually implementing regime change and establishing a government which will implement the usual privatization programs implying the control over these extensive oil and gas reserves by uh, the Anglo-American alliance. And I insist there is that, in fact, um, this war is going to consolidate America's influence in North Africa. Uh, in other words, U.S. strategic influence in North Africa will be consolidated, and that will be at the expense of Italy and France. Unquestionably, uh, France's role in North Africa will be weakened, and it will also be at the expense of, uh, of the Chinese. Uh, China has had, until the the insurrection, significant oil interests in Libya. China's uh, national oil company was present. There were 30,000 Chinese workers in, in Libya uh, and uh, some 400 uh, uh, employees of China's national oil company. So that uh, China's presence there is very important. And the objective of the U.S.-led initiative is to consolidate its influence in North Africa, and I suggest, uh, although this may not be evident at this particular juncture, that this will be at the expense of uh, its European allies, namely France and Italy. Uh, that region historically has been within the, you know, within the zone of influence of France, particularly Morocco, uh, Tunisia, and Algeria, and uh, in the wake of this. Uh, of these uh, regime changes in these various countries, as well as, as Libya. At least the objective is, it's not an announced objective, the objective 
of U.S. policymakers is to consolidate and to consolidate at the expense of other colonial powers. And this has been something which has been ongoing for, for you know, for more than 50 years. Uh, France's influence in, in, um, in Asia, I'm talking about Indochina, its influence in, uh, in sub-Saharan Africa is being encroached by the Anglo-American alliance. And you can see it in, in the Congo, you can see it in Rwanda, you can see it in West Africa, and you, you must address, in fact, the role that U.S. AFRICOM is playing in establishing a broad military alliance of all the various African countries, uh, which will be ultimately to the detriment of other former colonial powers, particularly weakening the role of, of France and Belgium and Italy and possibly and, and Spain in the African continent. Now, why would the U.S. and other Western powers want to unseat a dictator that they have supported and who has cooperated with them in the past? Well, I, I would think that Gaddafi is not quite their uh, model dictator. Uh, Mubarak would probably be their model dictator. Um, ben Ali would be their model dictator. Um, Gaddafi historically was the, the architect of Libya's uh, post-colonial project right from the outset in the 1960s. Uh, and uh, we cannot uh, certainly deny the achievements of that process uh, leading to the nationalization of the oil industry and, and so on. Um, Gaddafi has become an instrument of the former colonial powers rather recently. In a sense, he's a bit like Saddam Hussein. He's a, he's a, he's a nationalist. Uh, he's not quite a puppet. And I think what they want is a much more direct form. If I could say they want indirect rule, because indirect rule gives the, you know, it gives the image of, of a self-reliant... I think that at this juncture, what uh, U.S. foreign policy makers want is to have an obedient and subservient dictator. They don't want to have a government which uh, also supports the national interest. They don't want a nationalist. And Gaddafi is not quite their model dictator. What they want is somebody like Mubarak. Uh, or possibly, you know, uh, they could install a king or sheikh. They want to replicate the political structures which they have installed in the Gulf states and Saudi Arabia. I think that's the model uh, dictatorship that they want. Uh, they don't want somebody who is going to uh, serve the interests of the people while also serving the interests of the invaders. They want a much clearer and direct control over the country, over its resources, obedience to IMF World Bank reforms, privatization, impoverishment of the population, and so on. That is the model dictator. And uh, Gaddafi doesn't quite fit that category, even though in recent years 
he has served the interests of the Western countries. And there's another, there's another aspect to that. The United States does not want to share that dictator with other, with other powers. Uh, I mean, if you take Ben Ali, well, Ben Ali was very much also linked to France, okay? Mubarak was much more controlled by the United States. They don't want to have a dictator who can play France against the United States or the United States against Germany and so on and so forth, okay? They want to have somebody who obeys orders, who's a, who's a Washington appointee, a bit like Hamid Karzai in, in, uh, you know, in Afghanistan, um, you know, a government which, in fact, is a neo-colonial government. And uh, no ambiguities, no, uh, no populism, no nationalism, uh, but with the facade of democracy. And, and indeed, they might install somebody who has the, all the features of a Democrat, but that individual will be a puppet and who will be obeying orders from Washington. Well, exactly. And, and you ask in one of your articles if dictators dictate or do they follow orders? Dictators, dictators do follow orders. And we don't want to have a dictator who might actually decide things on his own. Okay? That's the kind of dictator they don't want to have. And I should say we are at the global level in the, in the context of political puppets. The political puppets are not only in those countries. We have political puppets in the United States. We have political puppets in the United Kingdom. Prime Minister Cameron of Britain is a political puppet. Uh, Obama is a political puppet. The decisions are not made at that level. They are dictated to these leaders of the Western world, uh, to the G7, to the G20, and so on, uh, by dominant economic uh, corporate interests, including the oil companies, the military uh, industrial complex, namely the so-called defense contractors. These are the people that call the shots. And so we have, we have political puppets in America, and we want to make sure that we have also political puppets in, in, uh, in, in countries like Egypt and, and, and Libya. Do protest movements move spontaneously? For instance, we've often read and, and we hear that uh, from Tunisia to Egypt to Libya, etc., and other countries. But, but do protest movements really move spontaneously? The, the Western media conveys the illusion that somehow these protest movements have spread from one country to another, starting in Tunisia, then spreading to Egypt then spreading to, to Yemen and to Bahrain and to Syria and to Jordan. Anybody who has a minimal understanding of these movements will know that mass protests require months of preparation. And in Egypt, the organizers of the protest movement says, we have been organizing this for months. This was recorded. Uh, the, the timing of these protest movements is very important. They must have been coordinated from outside. Why do I say that? Because several of the, of the leaders of these movements were interfacing with the U.S. State Department, the National Endowment for Democracy, 
so that there must have been some coordination, outside coordination, so that these protest movements would, in fact, operate in sequence. The, the thesis that the protest movements spread is nonsensical. We should understand the grassroots movement in these respective countries has a dynamics of its own. Uh, it certainly is an important uh, process when people uh, rise up against uh, oppression, uh, against uh, the IMF World Bank reforms. But when you start to analyze the leadership of some of these factions within the opposition, you then realize they have links to the U.S. State Department, uh, the U.S. Embassy, uh, to uh, Hillary Clinton, um, to uh, the National Endowment for Democracy. And this is not occurring only in one country, it's occurring in several countries. So it, it allows for some kind of, of timeline and coordination um, when one protest movement uh, flares up, another one flares up, uh, and then you find that, in fact, the leaders of, of some of these civil society organizations are coordinated by the same foundations in Washington, D.C. That's what you have to look at. Without, of course, denying the importance of the, of the grassroots. But again, the grassroots have been misled. And... Uh, what is occurring is not a spontaneous spread of, of, of protests. It is a carefully designed timeline, which then leads to an insurrection in Libya. And the insurrection in Libya has nothing to do with the protest in Egypt. It's not the result of the protest uh, movement in, in Egypt. It's an armed insurrection. It includes certain armed factions, which were there previously, like the Libya Islamic uh, uh, fighter group, which is an Al-Qaeda group. It's sedition within, uh, within the, the Gaddafi regime, where uh, certain key figures all of a sudden defect, uh, including Libya's United Nations ambassador, uh, the minister of justice, and so on. Those defections don't simply occur spontaneously. They are very carefully uh, orchestrated, and and that means that these individuals were co-opted right from the beginning. I'm speaking with economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show, Operation Libya, Insurrection and Military Intervention. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. So that what we have on the ground in Libya is the following. We have a disparate group of, of uh, opposition factions. We have an armed insurrection which is made up of, of this uh, Libya Islamic uh, fighter group which is uh, related to Al-Qaeda. We have special forces on the ground which are there helping the insurrection and these special forces on the ground they're coming from from coalition countries including the U United Kingdom. Now, what was very revealing is right from the beginning, the UK sent in an MI6 uh, agent to negotiate with uh, the insurrection. It was called a diplomatic mission. Uh, it was escorted by British SAS forces. These are, these are military uh, people. And then uh, this mission 
was not a diplomatic mission. It was an intelligence mission made up of an MI6 agent acting on behalf of the British government. And then they were arrested, but they weren't arrested by Gaddafi forces. They were arrested by, by members of the grassroots opposition. Uh, in fact, they were farmers, and they believed in what they were doing, and they arrested these guys. And, uh, and they said, well, what are you doing here? Uh, you know, uh, foreign forces coming in to help the, the opposition. So that there are factions within the opposition which are firmly opposed to foreign uh, interference. And I would also uh, say that the majority of the Libyan population, the large majority of the Libyan population, both Gaddafi supporters, but also opposition uh, sympathizers and, and people involved in that opposition are dead against the uh, bombing campaign which is being waged by NATO and the United States. And why? Because the bombing campaign kills people. And um, when a bombing campaign kills people, everybody in that country will unite and uh, take a position against the bombing, whatever their political perspective is. I mean, if the United States were bombed by some foreign force, I think uh, everybody, the Tea Party, the Democrats, the Republicans, everybody would join hands against the bombing of, of their homeland, irrespective of their differences, irrespective of whatever conflicts were occurring within the country. That's the same thing in Libya. In Libya, everybody is against the bombing. When I uh, was researching um, Yugoslavia back in the, in the late 90s, uh, 1999, everybody in Yugoslavia, the Milosevic supporters, the detractors, everybody in Yugoslavia was against the NATO operation because the NATO operation was bombing civilian targets. They were bombing hospitals, they were bombing churches, they were destroying the infrastructure. And that is exactly what is occurring in Libya today. Uh, validated targets, uh, civilian infrastructure identified as, as uh, valid targets. And under no circumstances will people in Libya voice their support other than those handful of co-opted leaders of the insurrection, which are in liaison with the uh, with uh, Washington and Brussels. Well, have these grassroots political movements, and I mean, I'm referring to political movements in all of these, these countries, they're in North Africa. Uh, have these grassroots political movements addressed the broader issue of foreign interests in the affairs of sovereign states? Uh, unquestionably, this uh, military intervention, which was presented to us as a no-fly zone initially, um, a no-fly zone really is, is all-out war. Uh, and this was um, addressed right from the outset. Uh, a no-fly zone means bombing the country, and it also means bombing civilian targets. So that what we are witnessing is a blitzkrieg. It's a war of conquest. Um, I should also mention that, uh, that a ground war is contemplated. There have been statements to that effect that, uh, that a ground war is, is the next phase. Now, whether they will apply it or not, 
that's another matter. Um, the legitimacy of, of this bombing campaign is questioned both by the people who are being bombed, there's no question about it, it's going to weaken the, the opposition to the Qaddafi regime because people are going to rally. And at the same time, uh, it, it is a, a violation of international law. What is very disturbing is that through massive media disinformation, public opinion in the West is broadly supportive. Uh, there's a consensus, even among so-called progressives, there's a consensus that somehow this is a just war, that this is a humanitarian operation, even though it is led by people who visibly are war criminals. They're war criminals in relation to Iraq and Afghanistan and Pakistan, and all of a sudden they, they are presented and upheld as liberators. And people on the left have, have, have supported this, uh, particularly the European left. They are supporting this military operation in the name of some kind of, of concept of, of uh, democratization, when in fact it's an all-out war of conquest, and it is a war uh, which seeks to uh, gain control over 3.5% of the world's um, oil reserves. That is the purpose of this war. It's part of the battle for oil. It replicates the Iraq invasion and bombing campaign of 2003. It uses similar assumptions to the humanitarian interventions which were applied in, in, uh, in Yugoslavia. It, it presents NATO as a humanitarian uh, organization rather than as a, as a military organization. It's absurd. Uh, and it turns realities totally upside down. It, it says that missiles are, in fact, instruments of peace. It denies the fact that these advanced weapons systems are actually killing people. And I should mention that we are also uh, facing another dimension of this war, and that is the contamination uh, of Libya with depleted uranium, which uh, means radiation, uh, which means similar... Uh, circumstances to what existed in uh, Iraq and, and Yugoslavia, where the use of uh, certain types of ordnance uh, and bombs, these bombs are made up with depleted uranium warheads and so on. You can't avoid that. That is uh, what they're using in Libya. It's the same ammunition which they used in other war theaters. What does it do? It creates... Uh, alpha particle radiation, and it spreads over a wide area. And there are indications that some of these bombs and missiles which were used in Iraq and Yugoslavia are now being used in Libya. So we must understand, and public opinion, and particularly in the United States, must understand there's nothing humanitarian in a war. A war is there to kill people. This ordinance, these bombs are deadly weapons. They are weapons of mass destruction in the true sense of the word. And weapons of mass destruction cannot be used to save civilians or to protect civilians as claimed by the military alliance and which constitutes the basic assumption of the United Nations Security Council resolution, which is in violation of the UN Charter. 
Can a military attack, such as the one being conducted against Libya, come about within a matter of days, or is longer-range planning necessary? That is to say, do wars occur spontaneously? Wars are part of a military roadmap. This we have to understand. The war in Libya is part of the long war. Military planners, the Pentagon, have a sequence of military operations. We should really be speaking about one war rather than several wars, but what we should understand is that the war, the war in Libya opens up a fourth war theater. That fourth war theater is uh, essentially uh, the extension of the Middle East Central Asian War into North Africa. We have at present three war theaters, which we tend to look as, as separate, Afghanistan, Iraq, and Palestine. And we now have a fourth war theater, which is North Africa. Uh, those war theaters, from the Pentagon's point of view, are interrelated. Uh, there's an issue of planning military operations at a global level. It is part of a global process. It is a global war. It is potentially a World War III scenario. And that is what we have to understand. An operation of this size and magnitude is not planned overnight. It takes months and months of preparation. And I would say that this, this war on Libya has already been planned several years back. And, and, uh, and it's confirmed by statements of, of the former NATO commander, General Wesley Clark, who says it in his book, and he's confirmed it in interviews, that there are a number of countries which have been slated for military intervention going back, going back at least 10 years. Uh, and I recall looking at central command documents uh, in, the, in the 1990s where it was clearly stipulated that the United States intended first to wage a war in Iraq, then a war in Iran, and then there are a number of other countries which have been identified for, for potential military intervention. According to Wesley Clark, there's Syria, uh, Libya, uh, Somalia, Yemen, and so on. Uh, so that essentially let's, let's uh, look at this in terms of, of a global military agenda, a long war, a sequence of military operations, as well as military operations which are now being conducted, uh, not consecutively, but simultaneously. And I should mention that if you look at the, the project for the New American Century, the major document of, of PNAC, it's stipulated quite clearly that U.S. military doctrine should seek the conduct of simultaneous theater wars, not consecutive. So that what we're now witnessing is the opening up of a fourth war theater. Afghanistan, Iraq, Palestine, and North Africa. And we should understand the relationship between these various war theaters. They're part of the same logic. Uh, they're part of the battle for oil. They're part of uh, establishing geopolitical U.S. NATO geopolitical influence in, in, uh, in the Mediterranean, in Central Asia, and uh, also in securing direct control and ownership over the oil reserves of that broader region, which constitutes 60% of the world's total 
oil and gas reserves. Libya has 3.5. It's not a negligible amount. 3.5% of global oil reserves is twice those of the United States of America. So that the trophy of this war is oil. The spoils of war is oil. And that is why France, Italy um, are also involved. They don't want to be excluded. That is why China most probably did not exercise its veto because uh, they are not in a position to, to avoid this war from occurring, but they also want to share the spoils and they don't want to be excluded from Libya in the wake of this conflict. So there must have been some wheeling and dealing behind the scenes with China and Russia uh, with a view to uh, ensuring that they would not exercise their, their veto at the United Nations Security Council. Michel Chosodovsky, thank you very much. I'm delighted to be on the program. I've been speaking with Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show has been Operation Libya, Insurrection and Military Intervention. Michel Chosodovsky is director of the Center for Research on Globalization, based in Montreal, Quebec. The Global Research website, globalresearch.ca, publishes news articles, commentary, background research, and analysis on a broad range of issues. Michel Chosodovsky is the author of The Globalization of Poverty and the New World Order, War and Globalization, The Truth Behind September 11th, and America's War on Terrorism. He is a co-editor and a contributor to a new anthology, The Global Economic Crisis, The Great Depression of the 21st Century. Many economists and investigative journalists have contributed to this new volume. Visit the Center for Research on Globalization website at www.globalresearch.ca. That's globalresearch.ca. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner and Yara Mako. To leave comments or other copies of shows, email us at blfaulkner at yahoo.com. That's B-L-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at yahoo.com. Visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.org. That's gunsandbutter.org. Hey, yo, these are some serious times that we live in, G. And our new world order is about to begin. You know what I'm saying? Now the question is, are you ready for the real revolution, which is the evolution of the mind? If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. Trying to steal your life, you know